Hello, hello. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Whistling in the Dark podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Bradley. Today is Friday, March 20th, 2020. And uh, I believe this is actually episode 40. I said the uh, last episode was episode 40, um, but... I actually had only put out 39 episodes. I had that one interview episode that I never put out. So this is my 40th released episode. So finally crossed that threshold. I don't know that 40 is that big a deal. I think uh, 50 is a bit more of a milestone. So uh, I wanted to talk. I don't have a ton prepared and... um, Probably keep it relatively short. It's already pretty late here. Um, I, I've i been home all week uh, with this. Um, my company switched to 100% working from home. And uh, we're a software company. <clears throat> so almost everybody except, I think, customer service type people. I'm not sure if they've figured them out yet. But uh, we're all working from home. And, uh, you know, so personally for my finances, things are going to be okay for a while. Um, we, you know, my company has some money in the reserves to withstand this, but we, our revenues are going to drop or they're already dropping severely. Um, so I think if, uh, a few months go by, everything should be okay, even if we're still really low revenue. Um, if it starts to approach six months, you know, um, there could be some problems. But anyway, uh, uh, also, these um, I'm down in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, the pollen has come in full force. And, you know, I, I grew up in the Northeast in the Philadelphia area and never had allergies at all. And I it's kind of odd because I didn't really have them when I moved down here at first, but over the years um, they've gotten a little bit worse and they're not that bad compared to what a lot of people deal with. Um, But I do have them. And this time I developed a cough, which is kind of amusing or troubling since that's, you know, one of the uh, coronavirus uh, symptoms is a cough like a dry cough or whatever um but i've had it kind of for a week along with other allergy type uh symptoms so i think i'm probably in the clear um but there's not really any way for me to actually get tested so um i've just been pretty much staying at home anyway um anyway uh so the the main two things I wanted to talk about and they're sort of connected is the just the coronavirus in general the state of things I lasted an episode on March 10th um, so it's been about 10 days and uh, the other uh, thing I wanted to talk about is the economy particularly the US economy <clears throat> things have been pretty crazy <clears throat> over the last uh 10 days so you know we will uh we'll get into that and um obviously there's some there's some 
you know, relationship there with, with the coronavirus. So imagine that we should pretty smoothly uh, be able to roll over between those two topics and connect them. So where I was going to start. So last, let me, let me look. I, I was, uh, let me find it. What was this site called? So there's, I, I was looking at this website last episode. I'm not sure if I actually said what I was looking at, but it's world, uh, world, ometers.info so it's sort of like a play on odometers world odometers but it's world ometers.info and um they track a bunch of stuff um but they've added like a special area for the coronavirus <clears throat> and that's what i was looking at and at the at the end of the day they sort of close off um and then report so I don't remember where we were at uh, with as far as the whole world. Um, I want to say it was... Well, I guess I can just look. Um, so on March 10th, it was 118,000. Uh, about 119,000 cases. And today there are 275,000 cases. So we've more than doubled in the last 10 days um which is a little bit slower i guess than i think you have this sort of every six day doubling but if you actually look at the um if you look at the plot you can see it's sort of slowed for a little while and then it's really picked up and i i think that having a sort of smooth kind of exponential curve across the whole world um, is, you know, probably it's a little more complex than that, um, you know, because it was pretty isolated in China. And so they had kind of their exponential growth and they kind of corralled things. Um, and then it's, it's sort of started popping up all over the place. And now a lot of other places like the U S are, you know, really, really exploding now. And, <clears throat> It is, it's quite interesting. So I was talking about um, how I would probably be working from home and uh, they, so the way the announcement sort of came was that we would be home this week. Well, I think they even had, I think Monday was supposed to be, at, at first was said it was going to be a test day. Uh, but you know, it was pretty obvious, I think to most people that, you know, it was going to expand beyond just that day. And then they said the week and, and pretty quickly it was two weeks and now it is just indefinite. We don't have, we don't have a return date. So, you know, in one week it went from one day to seven to 14 to indefinite. And, um, you know, that, that's fine. I, I'm, you know, our, our company is owned by a, a, a large corporation. So I think things like this, uh, they, you know, our CEO is kind of going to get his marching orders, um, for things like this, uh, from, you know, higher ups. So <clears throat> we, so I noted we went from about 119,000 to, uh, to, 
so let's say we went from about 120,000 to about right now at about 280,000 across the whole world. When I was reporting, uh, <laughs> recording, I said, uh, you know, we had a double in like one day, I think it was. It was we went to 900 some cases from 400 and some. And I was saying, you know, and I was talking about the prep that I had done and some other things and, and just, you know, the work from home stuff and businesses maybe closing or, you know, what, what all this was going to look like. And I, I remember saying that imagine if we hit 10,000 cases by Monday, cause you know, that I guess was when I'm going to start working from home, you know, how different all this will look, you know, like, like that it was still kind of this debate. Oh, should we go into work or shouldn't we? And I actually went into work, uh, Wednesday and Thursday. <clears throat> and then I stayed home on Friday. Um, but, uh, it, it was technically, we, we, a lot of times we work from home on Friday. So I just worked from home on Friday. <clears throat> and, you know, I said that 10,000 was certainly coming, especially, I mean, obviously we're dealing with a super contagious virus, but also the testing issue that there were so few tests that just simply having a lot more tests around will, you know, make this number jump really high. <clears throat> so, uh, I guess it was, maybe it was one, two... So if you look on March 10th uh, on this website, they say there was 994 cases. Um, and so the days leading up, it went 435 to 541 to 704 to 994. And those numbers, you know, were, were already jumping up. Like you went from jump going up by 100 a day to 200 a day, you know, um, to almost 300. I mean, it went from 704 to 994. So almost had 300. And, you know, so you could already see, I mean, we're adding, we're, we were, you know, almost tripled the number of cases added per day just in a couple of days. Um, so I was talking about, um, let's see what day that was. It was, um, So I was saying that what if by Monday, you know, we hit 10,000 and by the, the rate that, you know, it was all increasing that it seems somewhat, you know, unlikely. Uh, and on Monday, the 16th, we had hit 4,600 cases. So we didn't quite get to 10,000, but we were only at 1,000. We also we already had almost five times as many cases uh, on, on that Monday. And lo and behold, it took really just two days later, we were at 9,259. So 9,259 cases. And then yesterday the world odometer closed at 13,789 
and currently we are at 19,648. So we're almost at 20,000 uh, four days after, you know, when I was saying, what if we hit 10,000? So we're, we're there. We're all, we're, you know, we're well in. I was actually meaning to do this uh, a couple days ago when we were just about to cross 10,000. Um, but I just, you know, I haven't been feeling that great with, with the allergies and stuff. And um, been surprisingly busy with work and stuff, um, despite, you know, all this stuff. And then also just various, like, trying to get out a little bit and get getting some more supplies. And uh, I, have a, I have a few friends in my area that live really close. So they'll maybe stop by at night, hang out, like, out back. They don't come in the house or anything, but we'll sit out back distanced by three to six feet smoke a cigar whatever hang out um so my life has been somewhat normal um i i'm somebody that can stay in my house for extended periods of time or on my property um i've been digging up i i you know i'm in a new house so i had to dig like a fresh new garden so i've been doing that i started this weekend i've been doing that this week and so you know a lot of stuff some music whatnot uh, but you know, the world around or the, the country around us is, is, um, you know, certainly changing pretty fast. Um, you're hearing all kinds of, uh, different, you know, businesses now, I, I believe in, in, in my area, all the businesses like, you know, quote unquote, non-essential pretty much shut down at this point they're letting restaurants to stay open but to only do uh takeout or delivery uh one funny thing is they uh i think as a mayor she passed some special thing or made some special dispensation that now uh all restaurants can sell alcohol when they're with their takeout and stuff so it's nice to get uh I'll let people still get their drinks um despite this situation. <clears throat> so, you know, it's, um, I mean, I don't know where it's going to go. You know, I, I, I guess, I guess you could say I made like a pretty hazy prediction about this 10,000 and, you know, it was a few days late, but now we're, we're double it. And where, you know, where is this going to go? Um, the hope is obviously that, the sort of self-quarantining, shutting down schools and businesses, and most people spending most of their time at home, just, you know, for the most part going out uh, for supplies and things, food or whatever. Um, the hope is that that will, you know, kind of slow down this exponential growth. And so far it hasn't. And I, you know, I think it's going to, be a little bit difficult to interpret the numbers i i think even if things actually do wind up turning around or, or slowing down and and we actually do get ahead of that uh, of this sort of ahead of this curve in in the u.s uh i think it still can look really bad just because of the testing you know increased uh availability of tests and i actually you know i haven't seen um and and i haven't like gone digging you know for this podcast or specifically tonight <clears throat> but i i honestly haven't 
really seen many numbers posted as far as how many tests are available uh, or like predictions of, you know, forecasting how many will be available. And uh, I'm, I'm sure they're out there, but it's not something that I've seen a ton of. Um, So I, you know, I'd expect this to go for a while. Um, You know, (coughs) excuse me, Uh, growing. I thought, you know, it could be interesting. Uh, you know, you have countries. So some countries are just really bad. But let, let's like Italy, you know, right now, they're, they're up to 47,000 cases. They added 6,000 new cases in the last day. Uh, six and 600 deaths. So, you know, that is outrageously high. Um, their total deaths are 4,000 out of 47,000. So, I mean, they're, they're at almost a 10% um, mortality rate with this. And you look at Spain is got 21,500 and they've had almost 3,500 deaths. Oh no, I'm sorry. (laughs) Whoa. No, they had 1000. So they're more at like the 5%. Uh, you have a country, you know, Germany has 20,000 and they have 70 deaths. The U S has about 20,000 and we've had 263 deaths. Um, Iran 20,000 and they've had 1400 deaths. So they're, you know, they're a little above that's, you know, closer, like seven, seven, 8%. So there's a real big difference. And in China, you know, I don't know how much you can believe the numbers coming out of China. I have no idea. Um, they have, according to this website, they have 80,000, 81,000, and they've had 3,200 deaths. <clears throat> so they're, you know, they actually have less. They've almost doubled the cases, and they have, you know, around 800 less uh, deaths due to the virus than Italy. So it's pretty wild. Um so, I guess let's, you know, maybe just briefly talk about that and, and what uh, what I think could be behind that. Again, kind of, I, I think you got to take China with a grain of salt. I mean, all these countries, I you know, I don't know. And, I mean, I'm putting aside just the, reg, just the difficulty in reporting these numbers. I don't know. I don't believe this site does any estimates about, you know, the number of, of uh, cases versus, you know, number of cases kind of confirmed versus estimated. So I'm sure the estimated numbers are much, much higher. But my, uh, my guess in, uh, <coughs> in Italy is <clears throat> what you're seeing is when the the medical sort of infrastructure is unable to treat the serious cases or a lot of not you know a bunch of them can kind of fall through the cracks and from what i understand being a respiratory illness is that you know there's a probability you have to be actually put on an a ventilator and obviously 
what they're all saying is this is generally something for, for older people. Um, and then, you know, some people, I guess, still die even, even with that. Um, but my assumption is that there's a lot of people in Italy dying because they can't get on, they can't, they don't have ventilators for them. So they're, you know, they're, they're dying from, from this disease. Um, so I don't really know how you're supposed to calculate a mortality rate. Um, because, you know, if you, you know, if in one country like Germany, you have 70 deaths for 20,000 cases, and then Iran, you have 1,400 deaths for about the same amount of cases, you know, where, what is the truth? It, it, should we, let's just assume that Germany has basically been able to get everybody that needed to on a ventilator. Now, granted, this is just running with this idea. Maybe this isn't true. Maybe German people just aren't as susceptible to it as Italians. I don't know. Maybe they say there's a lot more older people in Italy. I really don't know how much truth there is to that. Um, I could look it up, but uh, you know, that's possible, but I don't, I don't think it explains seven. I don't think, you know, there's like 50, you know, whatever, 60 times more <laughs> old people in Italy. So I, I, I don't think that that could really account for that. Maybe it's some of it, but I don't think that there's 60 times more, um, their population, uh, elderly. And so, you know, I, I would guess that it's more, you know, this and, um, and so then the assumption is that Germany with 20,000 cases was able to, um, you know, get the people, the treatment, uh, and support they needed. Um, and looking at that's new cases, active cases, deaths. So, in Italy, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to draw <clears throat> a ton from looking at this, <clears throat> but you can look at the number of deaths uh, each day. And so, you know, as it ramped up, you had kind of single digits, and then you got up to a height of, on March 6th, you had 49 people died. So it went like, 28, 41, 49. Then you actually had a decline on the 7th down to 36. And then a jump to 133, a drop to 97. So you can see it's a little up and down. But, I mean, if you look, it's a relatively smooth. <coughs> Not as smooth. You have ups and downs, you know, day-to-day uh, -day a little bit more. But <coughs> if you smooth this curve out, I mean, it's certainly increasing. <clears throat> and I was wondering if you'd see more of like a discontinuity or something. And you might be able to argue that, I don't know, it, it's a relatively smooth. I mean, I think if you kind of <clears throat> just, I don't, I don't want to say ignore, but, you know, you allow the curve to kind of like the slope to decrease a little bit. Um, I think it, it intersects all these declines and, and peaks pretty well. So 
I mean, I was wondering if you could see a discontinuity in like the idea that they kind of hit some capacity and then things really started to, um, you know, kind of starting at March 8th, you know, you do see a, a pretty big jump, but I, I don't think it's quite enough to support my theory. Um, because the number of cases were, you know, increasing like relatively smoothly. Um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you don't see a jump in cases. So I was wondering if you could see something like that. Whereas in the beginning, so the theory is that in the beginning that more people, you know, the, the, the mortality rate was just lower. And then um, you sort of saw a big jump. Um, but I'm not really seeing that. Uh, yeah, I don't really see that. So, I mean, that's, you know, it's one test that kind of failed. Um, but anyway, so I, I do think that there's something to be said for that. And so, you know, I, and, and from the reports I've heard is that, you know, their medical infrastructure is pretty overwhelmed <clears throat> China being just an absolutely massive population I, I don't think 81,000 um, cases is you know something that, that that wouldn't be able to be handled in some way uh, if that number is even true and then you know Spain uh, again I'm just gonna guess they don't have the medical infrastructure of Germany same with Iran um, you know France is is a little bit in in the middle there. They have 450 deaths and 12,000 cases. So, you know, they're getting a little bit closer. Um, I mean, they just have have a lot less cases. So, uh, you know, they're uh, they've little more than half the cases and less than half the deaths of. Um, you know, Spain, let's say. So, you know, for the U.S., um, which is my concern, uh, we have 263 deaths. Now, we've seen, you know, I I actually don't, well, let's look at these, uh, the day-by-day the day, um, daily new deaths. Uh, so yesterday was 57 deaths. That's the highest. Um, and so we sort of had this kind of flat area from about March 2nd. There were five deaths. And we were still in single digits by March 14th. Um, and then it goes to 11, 18, 23, 41, 57. So we've seen, you know, a big, a big increase all of a sudden. <coughs> and there's also going to be some lag, right? And when the disease starts to when people start dying. Um, but you know, you do see like a, a pretty flat as far the fatality, uh, rate. And then, you know, we see a jump. And the reason that I think that is interesting is because the number of cases did not stay flat over that time. So what I think is that we saw early deaths because of um, it 
it hit, you know, I think there it was a nursing home they got hit. And, I, I, you know, I think there was some kind of, when you're dealing with numbers that small in the beginning, you know, individual kind of situations like that can throw off this curve. But eventually it'll average out, you know, eventually it'll it'll fall into the, the sort of real pattern or whatever. And I think that's, you know, I think that the, if you go from today with 57 and kind of track back, there's this sort of long tail that's higher than would be expected with an exponential curve. You you know, it seemed like it almost stayed flat for a while and then suddenly in the last five days became, started to look exponential. So um, I think that that could be explained. So, so really what I'm saying is they were higher than uh, what you would expect, the deaths from March 2nd to like March 14th in the US. And I think you could probably attribute those to things like nursing homes and stuff. <clears throat> but now, you know, we're on, uh, we're sort of tracking the number of cases. Like now the total number of cases has gotten so large that it's starting to probably hit a more uh, representative um, cross-section of the U.S. population. So if the theory holds, then, you know, the big, the hope is that what we see is a break in the exponential growth before we hit some sort of capacity of the medical system in the United States. And, you know, I'm not really sure where, uh, you know, where that line would be. So another thing I thought we could look at, um, I mean, let's look at China to see the total cases. So, let's see. They hit, so around, so January 22nd uh, to February 3rd. So, you know, a little less than two weeks. They got from 500 to 20,000. <clears> and then um, they continued up. They, uh, this is a, this is actually a linear scale. So they, they weren't even really um, hitting, they, there wasn't, they, they really weren't even in like an exponential, uh, like that so china never really showed exponential growth in case numbers so that's that's one thing it's kind of interesting and you know they let's say around i mean where they really they sort of had a really big jump on february 12th and let's say things really started to trail off by let's say the 18th from the 18th february 18th to march 19th um they added about six thousand cases so around six thousand cases over that entire month um you know whereas one day their worst day they added fourteen thousand cases um so they you know they really have this this sort of trailing off and, and it, you know, the number of cases added been, been lower and lower. 
So if we go from 500 until, you know, let's say things kind of started to mellow out here. It's about, it's about a month. Now, granted, again, right, they never had what we had. So, um, and they... It's it, they also had a really interesting thing because they they went from the twenty second to the February fourth, January twenty second to February fourth, <clears throat> and every day there were more cases, more new cases than the next day, and then they actually saw a decline until this February second and or February twelfth, so fourth to twelfth. So they went eight or they went about a week. Of declining and then they had a huge spike i don't know what that's about again i i'm just gonna assume it's a testing thing and then a rapid descent off of that spike you know till now so you know right now you know we're we're still very much increasing and if we look at the time so we go from when we had 500 cases, it was the 8th, this has been 11 days, 11 days, and 11 days, we're, we're almost at 14,000, so we, uh, I apologize, this must be absolutely riveting <laughs> entertainment going through all this, but this is, uh, I don't know, I just find, I find this interesting looking at all these, uh, at these numbers, and to try to I don't know. Get an idea of, you know, where we're going to where we're going to land. I I don't know that we could even really use um China as a model because they never saw this type of exponential growth. So, you know, I I think that they had things, you know, much more isolated in an area in their country and we don't this doesn't have it broken down in that in that way. Um, in the U.S., you can actually see cases um, per state. So right now, New York State is way out in front. New York State has eight thousand four hundred um, total cases. The next closest is Washington State with fifteen hundred, and that was you know that was kind of a ground zero type of area. Um, that was where that nursing home was, I believe. California has um, twelve forty-six as of now. Then you go New Jersey, eight ninety. Then there's uh, several states with five hundred. Some Georgia, where I am, has uh, four eighty-five. Texas is four twenty-nine. Pennsylvania with three eleven. Um, goes down. What's the lowest here. West Virginia has eight. Um, so, you know, it's pretty, I mean, it's all over the country, right? I mean, you go New York being number one and then Washington, California being two and three. So now, you know, you've got the East and the West coast, New Jersey, and then you have Illinois, you know, in the center, uh, of the country, Florida and South Florida, Louisiana, Georgia, Texas are all down there. Uh, you know, it's it it's relatively evenly spread once you get out of 
New York, you know? I mean, I, again, Washington with 1,500, that's triple some places, but <clears throat> they aren't reporting any new cases. I, I'm not really sure how all these new cases, uh, how accurate this is day-to-day in each state. I mean, where this is just one website. I'm not sure that, you know, they have that kind of uh, reach <clears throat> or the manpower to kind of get all these numbers for every state you know, every single day. Um, so I, you know, I think that there's reason to be concerned. Um, if you, you know, it's interesting. So Italy, uh, Italy is not really on this. Uh, well, actually let's check the U S. So when you switch, so one of the, things you can do is when you look when you see exponential growth <clears throat> it's somewhat difficult to tell by just looking at a, a regular graph a linear graph where you're just plotting the number of cases versus the day so at exponential growth what happens is all the past dates they all just wind up being look like they're just flattened all down on the x-axis and you always just see this sort of small like big curve shooting up at the end. Um, but what people do is they plot it on a logarithmic scale. So they take the log of the total number of cases. And if you are in an exponential growth situation, the log of the exponential growth will actually look like a straight line. And so the U.S. has <clears throat> basically been uh, since around... March 1st on a pretty, pretty straight arrow, like, uh, line on the logarithmic scale. So we're like, the U S is, is right in line with this exponential growth, you know? And so if that, I mean, that keeps up, I mean, how, you know, how many cases we added 6,000, you know, this is, you know, we're, we're heading, uh, <laughs> we're heading for some, Pretty bad, uh, bad looking numbers if um, things don't slow down soon. Uh, Germany is also on a pretty straight line. Um, like he said, Italy is not. <clears throat> They're still adding more cases every day, but the but it's not at an exponential uh, growth scale anymore. Um, or, you know, maybe it was for a little while, uh, that, that's a little bit harder to, to see, uh, Spain is, you know, roughly exponential. Um, so we'll see. And, uh, see what we have. Like I said, China isn't Iran definitely not uh france uh, is sort of on this exponential scale right now and um and then you have south korea being quite quite an interesting uh an interesting case so i but previously my last episode, I was talking about, well, you kind of set the ceiling at like South Korea or China or whatever. 
but I'm not, you know, as I said, I'm not really sure how, if you can totally take the numbers at face value, what's coming out of China. I, I, I'm not sure what type of measures they took or how well they're actually reporting anything. Uh, South Korea, I think that you can trust the numbers a lot better. <clears throat> the problem is, is the way they handled it and saying, oh, like South Korea could be, you know, if they've been able to get it under control, then the United States should. And, you know, other developed countries with modern healthcare systems or whatever. The problem is, it's it from what I've been reading today, the way South Korea handled this problem is drastically different than the United States. And I'm not even sure that the United States can really do this. Um, one, it's a much larger, you know, landmass. So there's that. It's a much larger population, but it's also spread out really far or spread out all over the place. Um, but they, uh, so from what I understand is South Korea essentially focused on testing and tracing. So they, um, they allowed a Private companies create tests. The one article I read said they removed a bunch of red tape. I really have no idea what their amount of red tape was before this. Um, but there, I, I think one company would say they could process like 140,000 tests a day or something like that. Um, or maybe that was the whole country. I, I don't know. But, you know... I don't know what the actual numbers are for the tests and the, the ability or how much, you know, how many tests could be processed in a day in the U.S., but I think it is far below what they were able uh, or what they were doing and are doing in, <clears throat> in um, South Korea. And, but the, even besides that, the tracing, that's really different. And, you know, so there's been a lot of, discussion i guess in the libertarian circles about you know being sort of challenged with the non-aggression principle versus the efficacy of forcing people essentially by gunpoint you know under the threat of violence to stay at home and you know the argument for that is that, well, I mean, if everybody just was forced to stay at home for a month and didn't go out, well, that would pretty much end the virus. You know, I think everybody that had it would go through, you know, all of their, the sickness and they would, you know, either pass away or, you know, just be better on the other end and they wouldn't be transmitting anymore. And so, you know, that's the idea, right? If we just like all stay to ourselves and then, you know, the argument um, is that, well, you know, you can't do that, obviously, without violating the non-aggression principle. And so libertarianism is like sort of fails you um, in this in this case. So, and I admit, admittedly, I, I haven't even really worked through that argument. Um, again, you know, what I... I think that one of the things you run into is it's very similar, I think, to the closed border, open border argument 
that a lot of libertarians have been having with each other. <clears throat> the, uh, you know, the Dave Smith take on it, uh, I found to be pretty cogent. The, you know, the idea that sure, the, what, what we want is all private property and then each property owner is free to sort of let in whomever they please. And so there will be a mix of closed, you know, open borders, whatever it'll be, you know, at the behest or at the whim of the, of the property owner. And, but we have publicly, you know, our state controlled borders and that becomes unclear how do you do that? If half the population wants open borders and half the population wants closed borders, it, you know, it's a tough question. And I think it's why you do see, and I, I don't know what sort of what percentage are on what side, um, but I do think that's why you do see libertarians somewhat divided over this, this issue. I think a pretty similar, um, type of, debate could be had around <clears throat> you know is how do you handle it because there are all of these public areas you know i certainly am within you know w working within the confines of the nap uh still if i don't allow anybody into my house or on my property during this time so you know in the little tiny area that I control, uh, I can keep people out. Obviously, I can't keep the police out or whatever because they'll just, you know, forcibly overtake me. But, um, you know, I'm just saying in theory, right? In theory, nobody's worried about people entering their house sick with coronavirus uninvited, right? That's so <clears throat> the private property piece of this is kind of like, it's uh, it's up to it's up to the people of the owners right you can have like i said i have people out back and i find that to be acceptable um it's a small number of people it's kind of the same people over and over hopefully you know they're not like going out and licking doorknobs and stuff out in public uh during the day and then coming over here at night um but you know i can't control that and and i am okay with the way that is but, you know, what about the street? What about walking down the street? You know, what about public parks and, you know, all kinds of other other things? You know, obviously businesses can, can close their doors now. And uh, if they want, now obviously they're being forced to. So that would be, you know, the government sort of encroaching on um, private, uh, private property there by not letting businesses still do business if they would like. Um, but the, uh, sorry, I said adjust something here. Um, but you do have, you know, all these public areas and, you know, how, how do you deal with that? And I, I think it's really, you know, it's really difficult. Um, it's a difficult thing. And I, when it comes to the government using force on government land uh violating the nap on government land i i find it 
just murky because if it was private, um, privately controlled land and somebody was, you know, sort of going against the wishes of the private land owner, then that owner could use force to stop that. Uh, I, and, <clears throat> you know, I, I do think that it's like within probably some reason. Uh, I, I think that if in a purely like ANCAP society, you know, if, if somebody happened to walk on your lawn and you like stuffed a grenade down their throat and blew them up, I don't know that that would be, you know, <laughs> looked at as like, well, he went on his property, you know, I, I don't know. We, we haven't, you know, we haven't had a chance to like work that out. Um, but, uh, I, I do think that there are, you know, that, cause I, um, what the heck's his name? I always forget his name. I love him. He was the, uh, he was a libertarian party candidate. Um, in 2004 he used to teach the constitution class i am totally blanking on his name um bad eric bad eric used to talk about how we were like kings in our property right we can just do whatever we want i i question that even in the most pure ancap world if that actually you know holds in like in its absolute purest form, like the example I gave, like you're di like the instant that you're on a person's property, I don't know that you forfeit your your right like to life uh, instantly. Um, so anyway, little tangent there, divergence from the topic, but I do, you know, I I'm not really I'm I'm just I'm not totally sure like. What if my roads were owned, uh, you know, by a private company that that operated them, and this sort of pandemic occurred? I could imagine that this company may put restrictions on, you know, maybe the travel or something of the road, or you know, I I don't know. So, um, I do think that it's it it runs into some complexities when you have the public <clears throat> the publicly owned land and obviously you know all private property sort of simplifies things and it allows everybody to sort of deal with this as they want and not necessarily have to deal with other people's mistakes you know um but i you know at the same uh or in addition to this, I think another um, way to sort of think of the nap is, you know, if I am, if I have known that I've been in contact with people that I have the coronavirus, and then I go into your house or your business, and I touch a bunch of stuff and breathe on everybody and people wind up infected... You know, I think that there's some liability there as well. So, you know, I, I do think that one of the issues, I think one of the issues in general with a state is not just that they violate 
our rights is that they actually, I mean, and obviously we do talk about these. These are like the moral hazards, you know, but for the most part, you know, like nobody's going to be taking anybody to court for being an idiot about coronavirus. Like you're not going to win that. Um, I mean, I think you've seen it to some extent with like AIDS, like people that, I, you know, I, I'm sure this is extremely rare, but people were like infected with AIDS and knew it and like went and had sex with people. You know, there was some liability there. But, uh, you know, I, I talk about that with like gun control. I think that if you are selling guns to people, there is a responsibility on your part uh, that you are not, you know, giving this to somebody that is just like unable to responsibly handle the firearm. And again, within reason, I mean, if somebody walks in and you've done your, your due diligence and you give them a gun and then they wind up murdering somebody, you know, I think that that would have to work itself out over a little bit of time with precedent and everything like that. But in the United States, you pretty much, you don't have any of that. Like you just basically, I guess you have some like FBI background check thing. And like, I'm pretty sure like 99% of people pass that. And then they more or less like have to give you the gun. Like, I don't think you can refuse to sell guns to people in the United States. If they like pass the tech, the check, I could be wrong, but if they pass that background check, you are a hundred percent off the hook you know it's not it's not on you um it's not really up to the gun store owner to vet people and i think in the ancap world it would be because if it doesn't fall on them now they like i think that you would have businesses that would uh be created around doing this so you would then say oh well i'm going to you know hire this this background checking company and then they will check and this background check company makes some sort of deal with you you know like i don't know when you have some um some alarm system or something like you your insurance company gives you a break or, you know, there's like the idea of, or if you do your taxes with an accountant or TurboTax, like they say, oh, well, there's an audit protection. So, you know, th- this isn't a completely foreign <coughs> idea that doing business with a company or getting a service for a comp- from an, a company to do something instead of doing it yourself can also reduce your liability. And so, you know, you would be, because right, like a gun store owner is an expert in guns, not necessarily an expert in, you know, judging a person's character or figuring out their background or whatever. Um, so you employ, you know, you, you, you buy the services of a company that can do it and they do it well. And, the re, you know, and the companies that do it well, they'll survive. And the companies that are bad at it, well, they're going to get sued into oblivion because they're going to, 
say that people can get guns and you know you're going to look at their track record it's not good they're going to have to keep going into court because they made this liability deal with the gun store owner so the gun store owner is going to show up to court and say well i had abc company doing the background checks and they passed and you know maybe that's like the you know the the judges in the uh, free market judges there will say okay well that's that is a reasonable expectation that this company, you know, they really sold you on it. They, you know, people know who they are or whatever. And so now it's on the company to show that they really did. And that this really was like an outlier and they just missed it because everybody's going to miss some stuff. But if a company is very bad at this or not really even checking or, you know, some sort of bogus thing, they're going to lose that lawsuit. And the person that got killed, you know, is going to come after them uh, or the family or whatever, the person that got killed or just shot or whatever. <clears throat> and so I, I believe deep in my soul that the free market would regulate firearms so much better than uh, the government does. I, I think that it would be so much more effective at identifying people that cannot, you know, sort of responsibly own a firearm for the purpose of basically just self-defense or, you know, hunting or whatever, uh, or sport. Um, but people that wind up using it in an aggressive manner against their fellow human beings. So... That was another little aside about uh, liability and how the state is reducing it in places where um, it would actually be effectively employed as uh, regulation. So, you know, I think there's, a, a, again, I don't know, just a, sort of in summary, I do think that this is a difficult topic. This is not one, you know, the idea of like, forced quarantining um, during a pandemic by the state and the NAP and how would a libertarian society deal with this? Uh, I do feel like it's a, a difficult topic and it's not one that I have delved very deeply into, um, but is what it is. So moving on, I'm back to this uh, analysis here. So the other piece of what South Korea is doing is tracing. So you can see as libertarians, we may have an issue with this forced quarantining <coughs> that we're seeing <clears throat> a lot in the United States and, you know, across the world. I mean, I think Italy is like uh, uh, the entire country is on some sort of curfew now. Um, so in South Korea, you, you didn't really have that. And, um, but what you had was this tracing and the little bit I read was that they, you know, they sort of floated the idea that in countries like the United States, that may not be looked upon very favorably because it could be looked at as like an invasion of privacy. Um, so, I mean, I think basically how it worked is, you know, if you tested positive, then they would go through and really try to track down 
you know, everybody that you were in contact with and then go and then find them and then test them and try like, you know, whether you had symptoms or not. And then, you know, those that tested positive and just sort of keep trying to track this down, but in a very aggressive way. And I think possibly they use some sort of like electronic sort of surveillance type stuff or whatever, I guess like everything at their disposal. Um, and I, you know, I see the point. I, I see that, yes, that this is like also, you know, in um, a problem possibly for us libertarians. And I think that if you are voluntarily giving up this information, then I I don't know. I mean, I, I could see this for the most part working out in like a pretty voluntary way. Like, I'm not sure that these people were under the threat of violence to give up all of their locations and stuff. Um, you know, like if I happened to be doing something the day before that I didn't want the government to know about, you know, am I able to sort of not say that part or, you know, I mean, how, how does it all work? But so I, you know, it does seem also, uh, less distasteful than forced, uh, martial law quarantining across the entire country. And it has shown in South Korea to be far more effective. You know, they never even hit 8,000 cases. <coughs> they, um, you know, hit some peak. Looks like they peaked. They, they sort of flattened out around March 8th and they slowly went up. March 11th, they peaked, but it was just like a couple hundred cases, maybe 300 cases more. And since then, the, they've just been declining and they're down to 6,500 cases from 7,300. So in the last, you know, eight days, they've, they've gone down about 800 cases. Um, oh, these are the active cases. I'm sorry. I'm looking at so that they are still adding cases. Um, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see where that goes because it's sort of flattening out and, uh, you know, we'll see. So, um, the, so I, you know, like I was saying, I, and if you listen to the last episode, you know, I was saying that South Korea sort of like puts this ceiling on it and I no longer believe that. I do not believe that we are employing anything like the methods that they employed. So I do not think that we can use them as a, uh, a model to help predict. Uh, so we are now looking at, so like I said, I don't think China is usable and I don't think South Korea is usable. Italy, um, it could be a, a warning as if we, if they have hit this, you know, situation where they're adding, uh, you know, that there's more people that require ventilators and require like real intensive care than they're able to give, you know, maybe that's a warning as to where, you know, we could be and, at 47,000 cases if they're there. I, you know, I don't really know. Um, let's see. The, 
Italy's current population. Uh, is about 60 million. <clears throat> so we should, so if there are, you know, almost at 50,000 and we have maybe five, six times as many people, I mean, that, you know, puts it, that, that area is around 300,000. Now, I would also assume that we have a stronger, um, a more robust medical infrastructure. You know, so, you know, where is that number really for us? I, I, have, I have like no idea, um, you know, where that, where that might wind up lying for us. I mean, we could say 500,000 to a million maybe. Of, of you know coronavirus cases and i think that also the the testing i mean how how well how how good is the testing in in italy you know another reason that this just popped in my head but another reason that their mortality rate looks so high is possibly they're not doing a ton of testing and they're really just getting the people that have severe symptoms, like really severe, like to where they need hospitalization, where, uh, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily the case in the U.S. I mean, certainly all these like celebrities and stuff aren't, you know, on ventilators uh, that are coming out. Um, yeah, so I, I think we are a long way, I guess, from that. Um, but, you know, we went from 2,000 cases in about a week. We went from about 2,000 to 20,000. <clears> so, I mean, is that, is that trend going to continue, you know? I mean, could we, could we be at 200,000 cases by the end of this month? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, uh, I think what we're really going to have to hope is that people have been quarantining, um, better than they did in Italy here in the U S and that we have not been transmitting it, um, quite as rapidly and that this will slow down. Um, but like I said, we're on this sort of, we're on like an actual exponential growth and for the most part, like Italy wasn't really there, um, at least on the reported cases. So I, I don't know that I have much of a prediction here. The, I mean, we've, we've quarantined, you know, roughly for a week. Like I would say like, it's, it's been serious, right? There, uh, the news came out about the NBA players and the NBA shut down. Uh, you know, all that stuff and, and things really changed, you know, when that happened and, uh, you know, here we are and it has not slowed down at all. It's absolutely kept up. And if anything, I would say maybe we weren't in, uh, you know, where we really hit is like maybe March 1st, March 2nd is when, uh, 
you know, we really hit. So, I mean, I guess we've been on this exponential growth uh, for about almost three weeks now. So, I, yeah, I guess it was, you know, not quite right about that. But, uh, you know, let's let's hope. I, I don't know. You know, we, we, you know, we all saw videos of spring break down in Florida. All these people at the beaches. My mom's up in Delaware. She said people are still going to the beach and stuff. <clears throat> so, you know, I don't know. I, for me, you know, th and the, I guess there's something else I, I was going to touch on. I, I didn't mention in the beginning, but, you know, there's a lot of, and you know, a lot, I don't know, more than I, I expected, but people are still sort of pushing this idea that the regular flu is actually worse. They'll cite, oh, you know, X, whatever, tens of thousands of people die, you know, every year from the flu. And I guess that's in the United States. You know, you might have 9 million people that get it. Uh, I, I think the numbers can range really widely from year to year with that. <clears throat> and, and they're saying, oh, well, there's only this many cases and this is like nothing, you know. And they're saying that w with 20,000 cases... You know, where, uh, you know, how many, you know, I mean, on March 13th, there was, you know, 2,000. So, you know, in eight days, it, it, got, it went up 10x. Uh, you know, eight more days or we had 200,000, you know, eight, I mean, 2 million. I mean, it doesn't take you long to get there. I mean, in, in a month... This numbers should be in the millions unless uh, you know something happens to to sort of to to curb that, and uh, at that point, you know we'll be in tens of thousands of deaths. So I you know I don't know, and I mean maybe you know I I think that the well obviously I mean number one from and I and I'm kind of like. I have not really like latched on to any conspiracy theories about this. Um, I think they are abundant and I'm not saying they're definitely wrong. I just personally haven't, you know, looked into them, but you know, for instance, like I, I have two friends in Paris that both have coronavirus and f within days before that they had gotten dinner. They were like ate dinner with like some people or, you know, maybe different people over, a, like, a few days or something like that. And it turned out that four of those people have coronavirus, and now, and they both have it now. And, like, I can promise you, he's lived in Paris for, like, six years or seven years. There's never been a time where he ate dinner within, like, a week's time with four people that had the flu that then gave him and his wife the flu. Like, you know, it's... I mean, I know that's a very anecdotal, but again, I think these numbers might be, you're going like, these numbers are so, it, it's so incorrect to try to compare these numbers like of 19,000 or 20,000 cases in the U S <coughs> to the number of 9 million, like number one, 9 million is definitely an estimate. When they say 20,000 cases, I mean, they're talking about like 20,000 confirmed positive tests. 
They don't have the test for it. I mean, they don't give you like, I mean, unless I'm, I'm wrong, I actually don't go to the doctor very much, but I'm pretty sure if you think you have the flu, there isn't some like like black and white tests that they give you. They sort of check you out and your symptoms and whatever, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I, it's, a, it's a different situation. I was looking at the, um, and I think I mentioned it, uh, the, I think it was the swine flu. And, uh, yeah, the swine flu. So, um, I did talk about this, uh, last episode because, so somebody brought that up and saying, oh, there were 60 million, you know, cases of the swine flu, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, why is this such a big deal? You know, when that wasn't. So I went back last time and said the earliest cases were in March uh, 2009 and by um june there were 27,000 cases so you know um we're at 20 you know we're at 20,000 now and i mean i don't know when the first uh case i'm not sure if we even really have that um I don't know when they, I, this thing just goes back to February 15th. So I forget. I want to say Jan, I, th- I think there was a, when was the first case of, in the U.S. First case, uh, So it looks like possibly January 19th. Yeah. Uh, oh boy. Well, let's just go with January 19th. So, you know, they went from uh, March to June 26th. So almost to the end of, of June. So it's March, April, May. So about four months and they had, they went to 25,000 went from, we went from January. So in nine and two months, half the time we're at like 20,000. So you could argue that this is twice as bad. (laughs) I don't know. And there's no tests. I don't know if there was more tests back then. Uh, and they peaked at the number of confirmed cases were 115,000 with, um, 3,400 confirmed deaths. And so, you know, like that number also could be, um, I mean, you know, that's like a 3% fatality rate. Now, obviously, <clears throat> what the estimates is that uh, there are 60 million cases um, and 12,000 deaths. And there was a zero point a point zero two percent fatality rate. So, you know, I mean, that's the big difference. And we talked about it last episode. Um, the one is that this is supposed to be um, more contagious, and is a higher fatality rate. I mean, right now you're dealing with ten percent mortality uh, in like Italy and stuff. So, 
five percent, ten percent. You know, some places are, and then you have Germany far less. So, like I said, I'm not really sure how you describe it. I mean, I it seems a little unfair that the to include the collapse of a medical uh, infrastructure that jumps the rate up, whereas like. I think that, you know, the swine flu never had a infrastructure collapse. So, you know, as long as, as we keep that up, you know, maybe we're, you know, maybe we'll, we'll be okay. Uh, and I want to say right now in the U.S. we're closer to like a 1%. Uh, well, a little higher. We're a little higher than that. Um, so, anyway, uh, I... You know, and, and comparing it to the flu, I mean, you would hope that these numbers remain lower because the whole country has taken, like, serious action to limit this outbreak. And nobody's ever done that with the flu. So, again, comparing these numbers to the flu uh, is, is just stupid. I mean, it's just incorrect. Uh, it's really ignorant. Um, and you know, I don't know. I just keep seeing it. I, I saw, you know, I really like this guy. His last name's Heller. Uh, he posts a lot of interesting stuff about climate and, uh, you know, he's a climate skeptic and he's got some education in that area. I, I don't know what he actually does for a living, but then he's sort of posting all this stuff about this today and like the flu and, you know, and, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying it's definitely wrong, but, you know, I think when you come in weighing in so heavy on something that you obviously don't really know much about, it kind of hurts your overall credibility to me. You know, it makes me now wonder, like, well, what about all this other climate stuff you've been saying? Like, I mean, are you this kind of willy-nilly with the, you know, with like your conclusions and, you know, what you choose to, to report and not? Uh, as you are around this, you know, cor coronavirus stuff. <clears throat> so anyway, um, it's, uh, I think that there's a, a, a reason to be alarmed. I am hopeful that, you know, by June, we're not in the millions of confirmed cases. Uh, but we will see where, you know, we're at 20,000 now, you know, uh, and hopefully what, you know, what a lot, most people have been doing is going to help slow this down. Because <clears throat> I, I personally don't know anybody in the U.S. that has coronavirus. And um, the only person that, that has even really been close to it is a buddy of mine had a co-worker. And she actually showed up to work a couple of days with like really bad symptoms and uh turns out she tested positive so now he's supposed to be self-quarantining and um but he hasn't shown any you know any effects yet and it's been like eight at least like eight days so hopefully he's in he, he'll be in the clear and uh still not actually know anybody that has it so we'll see um the uh, the other uh topic i wanted to hit on this was um, the economy and <clears throat> I just watched a good bit of uh, Peter Schiff he did a uh, the other day I don't know if it was yesterday he put it up or maybe, maybe it was earlier today 
he did like a four hour live stream where he was answering questions and everything about all this, uh, you know, kind of like what we've seen in the stock market and everything. And, um, it was, I, I, I haven't watched, you know, watched it all. I watched like an hour of it, but it's definitely really cool. Um, I, you know, I sometimes get annoyed by his commentary on Bitcoin. Uh, and again, I'm not saying that he, <clears throat> that he's definitely wrong that Bitcoin will go to zero or whatever. I mean, I, I think that it's, you know, very possible. Um, but generally I find his analysis just really weak. Um, and it just feels like he's attached his name to this one idea. And so anytime there's any news that supports it, you know, he jumps all over it, but then he ignores anything to the contrary. And, you know, his idea about like gold being money and Bitcoin not being money. And I, I don't know. I, I've talked about that in the past and I find it a little weak, but otherwise, um, I think Pish, uh, Peter Schiff is, you know, he's one of my favorite, you know, commentators on, on economic topics. I think he's awesome. And, uh, so, you know, he was talking about all this stuff and it's been, it's been quite a, uh, I guess couple weeks, you know, I mean, we've obviously seen, we've seen the Dow lose almost 10,000 points. Uh, you know, it was up 29,000. I think we said that it never actually got over 30. I don't believe, um, but it's now down today. It closed at $19,173.98. Uh, I don't even know. This is the this is the lowest. Uh, it's, this is in the lowest in a long time. Uh, I think I, I forget what it was at when Trump uh presidency started but i think it may have been around this so all those gains are you know they're all gone something that's interesting so you know i own i own some bitcoin i own some physical metals i own some gold stocks i have some cash uh i don't really have a lot of you know quote-unquote regular stocks um but Man, when you see something like this go down, literally everything goes down. And there's a lot of other like interesting stuff, like the bond market, which I have absolutely no <laughs> skin in that game. Uh, but I think that that's a very big deal. Um, I've heard that kind of the analogy to this bubble being like the bonds are what the real estate you know assets were in 2008, except way 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 worse and it's a way 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 bigger bubble so there so right now even though i sort of position myself in what i would think is a way to really protect myself against this up upcoming or now you know we're experiencing it crash it seems that like even gold and then even more so silver uh also went down and bitcoin you know had has had a really bad uh week or two um stocks obviously got crushed you know the the stock market lost what 30 percent of its value uh or you know in in uh, a couple weeks uh i think that's 
<coughs> I think that's the fastest, largest drop that's that's ever occurred, you know, percentage-wise. And that means a lot when you're also dealing with the highest nominal values, you know. It's one thing to go from, like, to lose, you know, 10% and to go from 1,000 to 900, um, you know, but to go from, like, 100,000, you know, to to 90,000 or something, you know, I, I think that that 10% means a little more. So, I, and I, man, I don't know if I talked about this last episode, but, you know, that's something that I, I think that there's some more fair indicator you could come up with for comparing crashes and, and big jumps in the stock market over the years. Uh, I, percent is okay i guess but one thing you for say for sure that this is the biggest fastest percentage drop that we've ever seen and the highest nominal values this is the worst you know we've ever you know seen the market get hit in such a short period of time so uh and kind of everything's down with it you know and i think that I, I think that maybe when people panic, they just sell everything. They just go to cash. And it's always sort of surprises me that there just isn't that immediate flow into gold. But I do believe that in 2008, when the big kind of crash happened, there was also a pullback with the metals. And then they started, you know, uh, a rise and... So that's something to, to keep in mind. But, I mean, you also add after the, the crash, you know, the Dow started an, an insane bull run. So, uh, I mean, but gold peaked around like 1800 and then it's actually gone down, you know, mu a, a little while ago, um, years ago, uh, to, to, you know, where it is now. And it's been climbing back up or it went down below and now it's been climbing back up. So there is... You know, I, to me, like, I really would rather, and, and I think this is sort of like the point of, you know, the older, you know, when we're on the gold standard and the, you know, the, the Fed can't print money, there is a way for people to, uh, to sort of <clears throat> save and store wealth that they don't have to really understand complex markets. And that's gold. You know, gold will sort of slowly, and silver, you know, whatever, go up over time. Uh, and yeah, like, you could always make more by trying to time markets and jumping in and out, for sure. And there's some people that are amazing at it, and some people aren't. But in, in this time, such an insanely manipulated market, you know, with the Fed, I mean... The numbers that are coming out that the Fed is talking about this week are, or these last couple of weeks are outrageous. I mean, they're they're putting trillions of dollars in again, buying up assets, they're buying bonds, and then they're even uh, what Schiff was saying today. They're even willing to take like regular stock, common stock, whatever, as collateral. Uh, you know, not they're not just buying like government secured debt or whatever, um, or obligations or however you would say it. It's uh it's pretty it's pretty crazy. And although, you know, my gold stocks took a hit and and that's interesting cuz I'd never actually owned gold stocks before this year. Um 
so we'll see where that goes. But I mean, but they're traded, you know, I, I, there, there's no doubt that there's more risk, but there's also like, I guess the chance of higher gain and kind of like, no matter what happens with the dollar crisis, I mean, a gold mining company is gonna exist, you know, they're, they're gonna survive this and and I think that, you know, gold has, has pulled back. I think it was up as high as 1700 and it's down to like 1500 I fully expect it to rebound and, and go way past that. Now, obviously, you know, I'm talking out my ass here. You should definitely do your own research. Um, put your money wherever you want. But uh, I... Although I have been mystified sometimes, I think it, it makes more and more sense to me. I mean... You know, when the Fed says they're putting $2 trillion, you know, out and you see the stock market go up, in my mind, I'm like, shit, like, there's going to be inflation. Like, I don't, you know, I want to get more gold. And you see people sort of go away from gold. But I think it's, you know, these companies, these hedge funds and all these, you know, big, big investors, I mean, they're trying to make as much money as they can. And I think they see that the stock market is more volatile than gold, but they have a chance in the short term to make more money off of it, <clears throat> even if they see the same thing that you do. And even if they see that, you know, inflation is, is coming and this is, you know, this isn't good for anything but the stock market. Um, but I don't know. I've seen that. I, and, uh, you know, and it's happening again. I mean, you know, there's little spikes, there's little bumps up. Uh, obviously, we're, we're overall way down, but I think that if I had to guess, and I, I feel a little bit wary of saying this right now, but if I had to guess, I think the Fed has one more bubble to blow up. Uh, you know, I really, I think when like 2008 was coming or, you know, when that was happening, I was sort of just really starting to, I, or maybe before that, but I had really just started like, I had gotten a grasp on some of this sort of Austrian economic stuff in the prior years. And I was starting to kind of turn my attention to the economy and, and sort of like actual current day and, and applying this stuff. And then seeing 2008, you know, that was the first time I'd ever, I'd kind of been in this mindset, you know, of like the Austrian theory being like the foundation of the way that I viewed the economy and going through one of these big crashes. And, you know, to me, it was like, <clears throat> why would anybody ever believe in this stuff again? Like they, you know, it's like, you saw it. Everybody saw the emperor had no clothes and it's gold and maybe this Bitcoin thing's going to happen now and as years went on and, you know, all this stuff and the stock market just went up and up and up and up. And then they even started to like raise interest rates little bit by little bit, you know, and, uh, and, and they were still able to keep growing the stock market, this number, you know, this, this the ever, you know, the all-powerful Dow Jones, you know, valuation. And, um, and it, you know, it didn't happen. I mean, obviously now we're seeing it. And, I mean, but it was an unbelievable, like, unprecedented bull run. And I just thought that it should have already ended and everything like that. So, you know, now that we're, we're back at, at this sort of situation again, 
12 years later, uh, I don't know that I'm so ready to say, oh, the, the, you know, the jig is up and the dollar is definitely going to collapse. You know, um, there's, I, I don't know. It, it could be. And I think that I, you know, despite all that, I don't really know that there's much I'm going to do different. I mean, I think I'm just going to sort of keep my personal financial setup in a way that if there's a currency collapse, I should be okay. Um, and, you know, some, some people asked some questions that brought up some, you know, interesting stuff with Schiff. And he was, you know, asking about like, well, what if there was a currency collapse and what are they going to do to us that actually wind up making money because we put our money into, you know, physical assets, metals, whatever, all the stuff that went up. Are they going to come in and demonize us and try to like jack up the capital gains to like 95%, take everything, all those gains away and you you can't profit off of everybody's misery, you know, because they, they'll punish the people that actually saw this coming, even though, you know, I mean... You, you talk to me any day of the week. You ask me about this stuff, and I, you know, I'm not trying to hide this. You know, I'm not trying to hide that I think this, and I think this is what's going to happen, and I think that just continuing to create more and more money is eventually going to wind up causing hyperinflation. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, that's, I guess, something to keep in mind as well is, is like, is, you know, if your money's in the stock market, uh, can they just freeze that? Can they just freeze the trading? You know, is, is your is your money like denominated and thought? Like, how do you sell it? You know, uh, and I think you really come down to like your only real options are like cryptocurrency and physical uh, metals. You know, I don't I don't know what else. I mean, maybe maybe you can have it in some way that's like not tied. Some one thing Shift talks about is like investing in some other foreign companies. He talks a lot about investing in companies that you know give dividends, and so he seems to be more confident. He seems to think that like we're going to tank, but there's going to be other company, other countries that are, you know, sort of in a better situation. I don't know. I don't know what on earth happens if hyperinflation hits the United States, you know? Um, I mean, think about like, I, I have a house with a mortgage payment. It's, you know, some amount of thousands of dollars. Let's say, you know, it's in, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, whatever. And if we get hyperinflation, I mean, can I just like, you know, sell like a pair of socks and, and then, and then pay off my house because, you know, we're like Zimbabwe and, and, you know, you, people are walking around with trillion dollars and, you know, dollar, dollar notes. And uh, can I just pay off my house and I just own it? I mean, if there was any justice, yeah. I mean, that's how, you know, that's how it would work. That's, you know, that's the, the risk you take when you give me a loan. You're betting that the dollar is going to hold its value. But I just cannot imagine that the U.S. government isn't going to step in to stop something like that from happening. So I think that it, I think it's going to be really messed up. I, you know, I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see hyperinflation. I would love 
to just kind of slowly have my precious metal reserves go up and my gold stocks go up and, you know, I'm just able to live like a normal life. Um, but we'll see. I mean, there's going to be, if that occurs, if there's like a real problem with the, the currency, the government is going to really get nuts and interfere very, very, very heavily with the economy. Uh, and they are going to demonize anybody that prepared correctly for it. And uh, they will try to take our wealth. So I would certainly suggest buying as much off-the-radar assets as you can. Um, because the less they know, then, you know, the better for you. They won't be able to come get it. Uh, now, granted, right? I mean, if you have a lot of money, I mean, are you keeping hundreds of thousands of dollars of gold and silver at your house. I mean, now, now you've got a whole other, you know, set of issues. Um, so, you know, everybody's got to kind of figure that out. And too bad we have this just Captain Insano government, uh, or we could like actually maybe have a business that was good at this, securing our hard-earned wealth and guaranteeing it for us. And then they were actually trustworthy because they had a track record and they weren't just the government saying, oh, yeah, we will insure this, even though we're going to insure it in dollars that we are going to constantly decrease the value of. So anyway, and then um, other stuff, the economy, uh, you know, as this thing extends, you know, I one thing I definitely, I don't know anybody in the U.S. as coronavirus, but I know a lot of people in the U.S. that are not working right now. So, you know, I'm definitely one of the lucky people that's able to continue to work and that, you know, it sounds like my company's going to be able to weather at least some number of months uh, before hopefully things can get back to normal. Um, but there's probably a lot of companies that are going to go out of business, uh, definitely a lot of small businesses, you know, and just like in the Great Depression, just like in 2008, there's going to be a big consolidation of wealth. And I, you know, whether or not this stuff is a, this was engineered or not, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't know that they necessarily have to like engineer it the whole time, but I think when they see it coming, they know how to sort of push it over the ledge and they know when that's going to happen and they're able to make their moves and position and position themselves. You know, you just heard all this stuff about some senators that did that just sold a bunch millions of dollars of stocks and stuff like before they like sort of went public with like what you know how bad this was or whatever so um yeah that uh that is not a good thing and you know people out of work and businesses closing and uh, I don't, I'm not sure where China is as far as like, you know, as far as the world stage and manufacturing and everything. So maybe supply chains are kind of okay now. I don't, I really don't know. Um, you know, I think some businesses can snap right back and others all won't, won't survive this. And, you know, their assets are basically going to get swallowed up by some sort of bigger thing that probably can get government assistance to stay alive. You know, like my buddy's restaurant. I mean, I don't think that he's going to get an injection of capital from the Fed. You know, I don't think the Fed is going to buy up their uh, surplus food stores in order to keep them alive, uh, you know, through this coronavirus. No, they're just going to bail out the banks. They're just going to, you know, it has nothing to do with the poor and the middle class, small business owners. Uh, they can all get fucked. The Fed is strictly 
for the elites, you know, the very, very wealthy and connected, you know, not even a, you know, you know, somebody with like a couple million bucks, not that, not them either. They're not on the inside, you know, it's not them. So I, I don't know. Are we, you know, this, um, coronavirus, people say this was the pin that pricked the bubble and like, oh, and, and the coronavirus, like, so maybe this is the last thing I'll say about, about the economy. So the, the coronavirus came in and people are then saying like, oh, well, the fallout from this could be way worse than the virus itself, right? That's what you hear a lot. All these people out of work, all these businesses, you know, it's going to be like the Great Depression or whatever. Again, maybe, I don't know. I'm not, certainly not an expert of this, and I'm not, like, running a bunch of numbers. Um, I guarantee that every single person I've saw tweet stuff like this also is not an expert. So, you know, just always consider the source when, you know, you're seeing stuff like this. Even if it matches up with kind of the way you see the world, still consider the source. So, I mean, you know, like I love Peter Schiff, but I, I have no problems disagreeing with him about, you know, particularly with like crypto or at least questioning the way he's presenting his ideas, you know. So, but the the reality is, is that this thing was coming. Maybe the coronavirus was, you know, the pin that pricked the bubble, but something was going to prick it. And the reason that you saw a 30% drop is not because of the coronavirus and the Dow. Like, it may have been triggered by it, but it's because it was fundamentally way, way overvalued. And that the, that the Fed has been pouring cheap money into it for 12 years. Like, this was going to happen. It's a fucking miracle that it hadn't happened before. So, you know, that that's one part of this take that I really don't agree with and that I think that our economy was not doing well. And I was setting up for this. All the stuff I owned, I owned already. I didn't buy it because of the coronavirus, you know? I mean, I didn't buy those gold stocks last week. In fact, I had them for a long time and I took a hit last week. So I really don't think it's that. I think that, you know, that's just the catalyst that set off this reaction. But, you know, it's like saying, oh, the, the, that the fuse is what did the damage. You know, when somebody lit a fuse on a stick of dynamite, it's like, no, the fucking stick of dynamite did the damage. But yes, you needed a fuse. You needed a fuse. You maybe didn't need that specific fuse, but there was some fuse. There was a stick of dynamite sitting there, and eventually, you know, shit, maybe the fuse is already attached. Maybe the, the, the coronavirus was just the, the lighter, the spark that lit it, you know? Uh, I mean, it was just sitting there waiting to blow up. And, uh, I think that's really, you know, that is is a much more apt analogy to what's happening than to think that, you know, and sure, piling on 
tons of people out of work and, and all this stuff and businesses shutting down and, you know, manufacturing slowing down, especially like all across the world. I mean, I, I can give you that. Uh, we've never seen something that literally affected the entire world at once, like economically. Um, but I don't, you know, it, it's temporary, and I think that if you actually had like a free market and stuff and just let people get back to work when they were done, I think they would rebound from it like relatively quickly. Like people are saying, oh, it'll take a decade, you know, we'll be feeling the effects of this. Like if we are, it's not the coronavirus. The corona I really don't think that. I mean, unless it, like it's completely insanely out of control. I'm, I'm just saying like if, if we deal with like another couple months of it, where, you know, and I don't even know if we'll be, you know, if, if within a month we start to see the cases like trailing off or in weeks or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think that you can blame like if we do wind up in a depression, I, I just don't think you can blame it on, on that. Now, granted, okay, if like fucking 20 million people in the U.S. die of the coronavirus, I mean, uh, you know, we'll then I'll have to recalibrate how, how bad it was, but I'll still say that it did this on top of already like a bubble, you know, this powder keg ready to blow. So I think that, you know, that narrative is a little bit misleading, misleading, even though it is, I do hear it a lot from the libertarian side of things, you know, looking at the economic impact and i yeah i agree and and no and i don't think that the government should like give out trillions of dollars i mean they just don't have it i mean they just there's in so much debt so much debt just but they won't stop you know it's not going to get better it's going to get worse the coronavirus isn't going to help it's going to it's going to just totally accelerate this and um I kind of hope that we don't have a uh, currency crisis. Um, I ain't gonna, I'm, uh, I believe that pretty strongly, um, that things would be really bad because I don't think a, I don't think a currency crisis weeds out all the people that were just in paper and didn't situate themselves, you know, like we want to or are you know, in, in gold and, and gold stocks and possibly Bitcoin, if it stays alive and whatever, all these places, you know, commodities, whatever, you can have tangible thing, my house, right? I mean, that hyperinflation, uh, be good to own land, good to own real estate. You know, if, uh, hyperinflation hits theoretically, like you, you'll be okay. If your wealth is really in those types of things versus if you had that same kind of bottom line number and it was just in cash it would be wiped out but i think that what it would come with is like extremely authoritarian measures by the government and i think the united states would become a much worse place to live so let's pray that we don't see that anytime soon uh so yeah i'm gonna wrap it up there uh glad i got to do this um We'll see where this goes. 20,000 cases right now. Hopefully I'll get, you know, another episode. I mean, you would think I would be putting out episodes more rapidly now that I'm home all the time. Like I said, I've been doing my garden, been a little bit, you know, battling with these allergies and 
um, working still full time, you know, doing music. Uh, so yeah, I got a lot of irons in the fire, but you know what? Hey, I did this, you know, what? 10 days, uh, 10 days later. So it's certainly a lot more rapidly than I'd been putting them out so far in 2020. Uh, so stay tuned, share this around with your friends, please spread the word. Uh, you know, I've, uh, there, I'm somewhat more listeners than I used to, but it, you know, I, I think, uh, unless I start to do it steadily, um, it's going to be hard to keep this, uh, keep it climbing up. So I'm going to try, try to keep that going. And, um, if you do want to find me, uh, on social media outside of this podcast and send me a message or whatever, uh, you can find me on Twitter, Patrick J. Bradley. Facebook, there's a page for the podcast called Whistling in the Dark. So just search Whistling in the Dark podcast. Uh, on Gab, I I haven't been checking it very much, but uh, there is an account for us there, Whistling in the Dark. And I do have a YouTube channel for Whistling in the Dark, and you can subscribe to that. These same uh, audio streams are posted there. I've been considering doing you know video stuff, and that would probably be done uh well maybe either record them and then upload them or do actual live streams um but i've had most the the largest amounts of viewers have actually come through some of my uh videos about epstein that were uploaded to youtube had thousands of, of views there so uh, it had me thinking that maybe i should try to tap in a little more i've also been thinking about doing d live um just so I have, like, I'm not tied to, to YouTube because it seems like uh, any people that speak about the topics that I speak about, once they get popular, you know, they have a really tough time. So, anyway, so yeah, hopefully I'll hear from you. And if I don't, just keep your ears out and I will put up another episode soon. Peace.